On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. your tolerance but lecture me is there no end to your own hypocrisy your god is power you have no shame your only interest is political gain you hide your eyes and refuse to listen you play your game coming up next america can we talk with your host debbie georgiatos And hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. It's one of our very special Thursday shows. I really want to thank all of you who tune in on Thursdays. I appreciate that. I hope if you enjoy the show, you'll consider sharing the show. Grab the link and share it with your friends and, and fellow patriots. Also want to thank people who joined us in studio today. I love having the in-studio audience. Uh, just appreciate them all being here. It's wonderful. And then, of course, I appreciate our very, very special guest. We are honored today to have joining us in studio. Uh, he's really kind of Texas's senator, but he is a state senator in the great state of Texas for Senatorial District 2. He is also among the most uh, reliable conservatives that people uh, who are in the conservative movement turn to to try to talk through issues and urge him to take them up in the Texas State Senate. Texas State Senator Bob Hall is in studio with us today. I wanna to give you the briefest of introductions because I want the most of the time uh, to be talking about what it is that happened in the Texas Senate. And for those of you not blessed to live in the state of Texas, I will remind you that here in this great state, we only have a legislative session every other year. It doesn't meet endlessly like in a lot of blue states. It meets for five or six months every year and then sometime every other year and sometimes has special sessions. So we just completed the 88th legislative session here in Texas they wrapped up the, um, the end of the session for this year, for 2023. Uh, one special session, I think, actually already started and ended, but that's where we are, and there are many, many important issues, really, that people around the country care about. I'm going to guess in every legislature in America, one or more, a state legislature, one or more of the issues we'll talk about, probably came up in their legislature as well. Here in the great state of Texas, we uh, have uh, one great senator joining us, and I want to introduce him briefly. Um, he's a chairman of the Senate Committee on Administration, uh, and he's also a member of the Finance Committee, Health and Human Services, Local Government, and Veteran Affairs. One reason he is such a stellar state senator is that he has, he's not a political lifer as some people seem to be. He really had a, a noble and wonderful career in business prior to uh, becoming a member of the Texas State Senate. He also was a captain in the U.S. Air Force. He learned a great deal about the issue, one of the central issues facing Texas and America, uh, how to secure the electric grid. He learned about that actually way back in his Air Force days. Um, he is a um, leader in the Texas Senate and all sorts of conservative issues. Uh, he worked in the aer aerospace industry as a systems engineer, a business development manager. Um, he also worked as a consultant, left that work and, and worked as a consultant, um, and then formed his own company in 1984, Professional Proposal Management uh, Inc. He has just an amazing sense of duty, patriotism, love of America, love of freedom, love of the great state of Texas, and we're very welcome and very grateful to have him. Please help me welcome to the show Texas State Senator Bob Hall. 
I will just tell you, my very fine friends, the reason that you're hearing that kind of enthusiastic clapping is because many people who are here in the audience today are real activists in Texas, whether they go down to the legislature in Austin to be active or they're here in, the, in North Texas, people very, very active uh, in the state of Texas on all sorts of issues. And they know that they, we are going to hear from someone who really knows a lot about what's happening in, the, in, in our great state. So, Senator Hall, I'm gonna, uh, I, I texted you more issues than we possibly could discuss. I do understand that. And I, what I kind of yeah. want to do, I'll tell for you, yeah. I want to talk about what I think were the top priorities for many conservatives in this legislative session, things they hope to get done, and where we are on that. And I know, there, I, I tried, I thought, uh, and was wrong. I thought I could prepare for this interview today by pretty much getting a really succinct summary and run through all the issues. And honestly, there were a mountain of bills that went through the legislature and that were proposed, didn't go anywhere. So I'm not sure I'm on top of all the bills. And if you're not on top of all the bills, I will understand that because I don't know how anyone could be. But on the top issues, I want to hit those. And then I want to talk about you know, how much it matters that activists go down there and try to do things, activists show up, how much that matters. How do you get more involved in shaping uh, the outcome of issues in Texas? I want to hit that second, but let's just start with one of the, uh, my favorite issues because you understand it so well. It has to do with the security of the, of the electric grid in Texas. And you've been an advocate for many years with a very thorough plan for how, and for our listeners who aren't Texans, we, because we are the great state of Texas, have our own electric grid. Unlike the rest of you people have to share one, we have our own, and it is a great place for people in, in, in Texas to really model for the country how to make the electric grid more secure. You, Senator Hall, have worked on that for a long time, so do you know on this particular issue, did anything make it through the legislature on grid security? Not grid security from the standpoint of protecting against the natural and man-made threats that I've been talking about for the vote secession. We got, we got farther than we've ever gotten before. We got the bill all the way up to being on the calendar to go to the floor, but it was too far down the calendar with the chubbing that went on and time ran out. And so that's the farthest we've gotten. Uh, I had great support in the Senate. I think I had 24 or 25 Senators were joint authors when I filed the bill. Uh, there was a lot of, so it got voted out of the committee. It was slow rolled through the House committee, but when it was able to get a vote, it got out 11 to nothing and out of the calendars, 11-0. And so we had support for it, but they played the game. And of course we were suffering from all the chubbing. Uh, for those who don't understand, chubbing is when folks ask superfluous questions just to delay the process. And they do it one after the other after the other. And so things get backed up. And by the time that, that the calendar for my bill was running two days behind, because they have to finish the calendar for the day before, before they can move to the next calendar. Uh, so it was the chubbing that was going on that, that got it caught. Uh, chubbing is intentional delay, intentionally it is, it, delaying. It is, is intentional. It adds nothing to the conversation. It does nothing to improve the bill or to expose weaknesses. It's just a lot of talking. Okay, so there was something, the thing that did get through uh, that's in some remote way related to the grid had to do with increasing electricity yeah. production. Yeah. yeah, we kind of divide the the issue into two parts. One, about grid 
resiliency is which I, what is I've been talking about, protecting against purposeful threats, attacks on it. Uh, nothing. That was that there. As far as for making sure we have enough power, we did very little, but did a little bit. Um, and the problem we've got is where we are. We've been put in this box by what has been is by the environmentalist, by the the advocacy for wind and solar, which has been subsidized, and now we have over 30% of our uh, power comes from what we call, what's referred to as unreliable energy. You've got reliable energy, that's the thermal, but it's dispatchable. When you turn it, tell it you need it, it shows up. That's gas, oil, etc. cetera. Uh, that's considered to be reliable energy. Unreliable comes from wind and solar because it only is available when God decides the sun's gonna shine or the wind's gonna blow. And it's subsidized, so it provides it very cheaply, which has discouraged people from making investments on the thermal side. So as Texas has grown and the environmentalists have shut down dozens and dozens of our coal-fired plants, our capacity to generate electricity has diminished. The demand for it has, grown, has gone up. The ability to produce it has gone down. And now with over 30% coming from the unreliable side, we are on a a course that if we have a hot summer, we will have brownouts. We will have shutdowns. Okay. I love your language. I'm going to adopt that because people pushing solar and wind try to say it's sustainable energy. And, and that yeah. is, of course, a misnomer, or maybe it's like a lie. But I, I love actually the way you're talking about it. It's unreliable energy. And so Texas, really, we had our, our big, a huge uh, storm, winter storm, ice and snowstorm a few years ago. We actually people lost power because in part we had a, so we didn't get, in the bottom line of the grid, we did not get actual securing the grid, the goal you've had, and you, but you got it pretty far down the path. And I don't know if there's a way to summarize, is the opposition just the environmentalists who fund some of the people in the legislature who don't want to move? Or is it, what, what is the other source of opposition? Well, the other opposition is we moved to a competitive market several years ago. And government involvement in what we did, we did make money available. We did provide for encouragement to get investments being made because that's the problem is they, no one sees a profit to be made. And so the investments aren't there. So we are providing some money. But the problem with that is there are many folks that see that as a first step to move us back to a regulated market from, from a competitive market. So you have those who want to keep a competitive market and try to figure out how to get, get more capacity through competition. And others say, we've, we've already crossed that, that bridge. It ain't going to happen. Solar and wind have destroyed that. We need to just get back to a regulated market. So that was the, the fight between is really the fight to, that's going on. But that fight, how you come out on that? We aren't getting a secure grid. And I know, we, I know we've got to jump on other topics, but everyone listening, if you haven't ever studied the issue, the problem with electric grid security, it can seem like it's kind of a, oh, it's a utilities issue, it's kind of boring. It is the idea that if the grid is shot down, whether it is a natural incident or whether it is an attack from an enemy or even an internal enemy in America, if you don't have electricity in America and you have it knocked out and it takes months and more to set it, get it back in place, you don't have electricity. It really means the death of millions of Americans. It's, it is not hyperbolic to say that. It's exactly what will occur. 
because you can't function in modern society without electricity. We do a lot more on that, but I, can I, I want to jump just, on the next just one. Just to Go emphasize ahead. Yeah. that, everybody here has heard me say this, and I'll continue to say it. Electricity is the second most important thing to sustaining life in our society today. The only thing that's more important is air. People will live longer without water and food than they will without electricity. There's nothing in our life that does not have electricity behind it. Most people won't even be able to tell time without yeah. electricity. So <laughs> I say, the under, uh, whatever it is, under uh, 30 crowd can't even, okay, no, oh, they, they, oh, <laughs> The millenniums will go nuts without their phone. <laughs> yeah, okay, um, so it, it's a huge issue, and I will come back to it when we talk about what should be Texans who are mm -hmm. activists do about this. It is preposterous that we can't get the grid secure after all the work you've done, after you, you've laid out how to happen, how it can, can begin to be fixed, and you just, we can't get it to move. It, it is preposterous in the great state of Texas. Okay, I will, I've told you many times, and I will say it again. To me, the two most important issues that will determine whether we have future freedom of Amer in America or not are border security and election integrity. If we have an open border, we don't even have a country. If we don't have election integrity, anyone and their brother can vote. So let me go back to the border security. There was a great bill early on, I think it was House Bill 20 out of Matt Schaefer. And it was a really uh, comprehensive look at border security. That didn't make it through, correct? No. Did anything happen on border security? Nothing. 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 No, okay. Nothing. And, and, you know, I, I would just say, the, um, okay, my best friend from law school used to have this expression, PGO, pointed glimpse into the obvious. This is a PGO. Border security is on the minds of millions of Americans. They're, out, they're livid with the Biden administration. It's open, intentionally leaving the border open. And everyone was counting on a place like Texas to have border security, something being done. I understand we're not the federal government, but things could have been done. What is the holdup? Why didn't that happen? Uh, just could not get enough people to agree on, on the bills that were being posed, proposed. Uh, I don't know where the strong, there was, there was no, no push for it really from the governor's office. Uh, we did get SB 7 uh, passed out of the Senate, which was equivalent and, and would have been about just about as good. Uh, Matt Schaefer's bill, I think, was a little bit better. But uh, as long as you have the Democrats controlling the House, you're not, we're not going to get anything out of it. And they do control the House. We're going to get to that point later. That's another thing that, that the people of Texas have got to figure out how to fix. But so SB7 was more or less HB20, I mean, more or less. Mm -hmm. And so that got through the Senate. And, and I'll just, as one example of the frustration of the people of Texas, not with you, of course, but with the Texas legislature, in an era when you have an unenforced southern border and the massive border Texas shares of Mexico and the Biden administration absolutely abandoning the border and we couldn't get border security done. I, I mean, it, it's, it's downright astonishing. I, anything to add on that in border security? No, I, I agree with you. I mean, it, uh, while the, the, the legal problem we have in doing it, I think we could overcome that by actually taking charge the, the, the issue that we've proposed many times in the past that never has gotten anywhere is the interstate compact. Uh, I think we could get that approved by Congress and, and then we could have more states. I think Virginia is now sending us about 100 troops there and other states have they sent did. them where we 
could do something, but we just need to have that authority to be able to stop the people. What don't understand is the laws we passed a few years back that allow someone, once they step on U.S. soil, to say, I'm here for asylum, they're no longer here illegally. That is a legal, and that it's hard to accept, I'm telling you the way it is, is that, that the law says they are now due to have the protection of the government because they are here for asylum. Now, we know it's not true. We know they're being told to say they that. To, they, but, they probably couldn't define the word asylum. They no, just know how to say no. it. Okay, but HB 20 actually talked about, uh, Matt Schaefer's bill talked about the idea that it would actually empower the Texas, and I don't know who it would be, one of the Texas forces, to physically, if people cross here into Texas, put them back over. Just get them back over the river, over the bridge. It was get them back. And that was the kind of thing. It's just, it's so, um, it's so obvious. It's so, it's a visceral thing. Just get back. And I, I, you know, I think the people of Texas would, would have supported legislature um, times a million. I'd oh, I have no doubt the people would support it. Okay, but she, okay, we're going to get to why the Texas House is so problematic and run by the Democrats, which is simply breathtaking. But yeah, border security uh, was a um, deep disappointment and frustration to people. Uh, on election integrity, um, there was, I think something got through. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we beat up pretty badly on Harris County. Uh, there were, they, were, they were the target, and uh, there were a number of bills that passed. Uh, including one that eliminated their office of election administrator uh, being elected, and and other several other bills all aimed at what Harris County was doing, and it got through because it you could get the votes to pass something for Harris County because they were an easy target. We couldn't get the votes uh, in the House to address the larger issues that we have. And you had, I know, a wonderful election integrity bill, and there were several. I mean, I, I actually, someone sent me a three-page list of all the election integrity bills, which I can't go through right now, but many state legislators were willing to make the effort, and many citizens wanted it, and yet really nothing comprehensive. Uh, back to something else. You said a moment ago that uh, Governor Abbott did not do very much in pushing the border security bills. Did he do much in pushing the election integrity bills? No. no. No, the so only thing that was interested uh, for the leadership were the restoring the criminal penalties, which I think were more of a thing for window dressing than a reality, because it just extended the amount, made greater the time amount of time somebody would be in jail. But that was the big thing because there was so much cry out from the grassroots about that moving move from a uh, down to a misdemeanor. That, that was done, and that was seen to be like, okay, we got that done, we don't need to do anything else. Unfortunately, uh, bills to, um, to be able to print the results tapes and to get into the details of why that's so important in, in early election. But when you look at it, and if you read the, the election process we have, there's no fixing it by passing a bill here and there. It has to be restructured from the bottom up. Absolutely true, yeah. And Many people in this room and many people I know work of, uh, who work on the issue ultimately want to get to the point of getting rid of the electronic voting machines, just going back to paper ballots. And I understand, I will say it again, I understand that sounds like going back to horse and buggy when here we have a car right here, but it isn't like that. In fact, of the, there are in this world, of, the, of many countries in this world, well over 100, it might be like 147 countries that use paper ballots. It's perfectly doable. We've just got to decide we're committed enough to do it. Now, whether that's even viable, 
any step along the way, all the things people tried to do, as I, as I said, I could read this list of bills that someone sent me, list of ideas. We can't seem to move that. And is your sense of the, what is the reason people resist that? Uh, most, of, most of the resistance comes from the uh, county elections administrators who don't want to change anything. They have, they have their own little fiefdom, and we have 254 election processes in this state. Every county does it its own way, and the, those working the elections, it's like they have, have the, their little, own little kingdom, and they get to say what's going to happen, and it's worked. I mean, they, they've said, our elections are fine. We start them, we end them, and somebody gets elected. And so there must not be anything wrong with them at all. And, but the legislature has authority to say, here's what you have to do. That's Correct. right. But the and pressure is- comes from the loud voice of those who currently are running the elections are a very loud, forceful voice that your elected officials hear over the cries from the grassroots because it's not loud enough. Not loud enough from the grassroots. Okay, y'all listening, all you grassroots people here, we can get louder. We can. Because, I mean, to me, I I, I know you know I've done dedicated numerous shows to this. I've put on, I've, I've talked about this at great length. You don't have, no one even knows what the voters want when you don't have election integrity. You have an announced winner, but you, I, I think you see Republicans who move to the center, move to the left based on outcomes they think happen in elections because, because that's what the election results are telling them. I think you, you cause parties to compromise positions. They move to the center. Well, I don't know. And, and because you don't, you aren't be able to get the direct voice that comes from the vote of the people Okay, I, I, I think that's one of the most important things. But good things happened. Good things happened. Texas legislature uh, mm-hmm. this year involved in protecting children yes. and, and, the, and the school districts, uh, many, many things in the schools. So we succeeded in some bill that's supposed to remove pornographic materials from school libraries. Is that correct? That's correct. We, that, that passed. We did get that. That's onto the governor's desk. That's correct. Okay, so who decides what's porn in that bill? Uh, that's that's the next step we've got yeah. to get through. And <laughs> because uh, the best answer that's been covered is I, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. Yeah. it is, and that is, that, is a, that is a problem. There is no bright line for that. It's the same problem we had with the drag queen shows in, in being able to draw a bright line. And best we could get with the drag queen shows was that, that it had any sexual overtones to it. You could not do it. Because there were great arguments put up about people dressing up or cross-dressing in, with good intentions. People talked about dressing up like uh, granddads, look like grandmothers, or read a story to the kids. I never had that happen in my family. But, <laughs> but, but they talked about, time they talked about, what was the movie with, uh, with Robin? Oh, uh, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire? That, Mrs. Doubtfire. Would oh, that be, gra- you know? So they had a, they, they threw up some really strong arguments at it. So... Uh, they had words in there that uh, the exposure of genitalia and sexual overtones, that would be, that's what they were able to outlaw with that. And, and the drag queen thing. And actually, that is an interesting thing. You know, I know I'm not the first person to say this, but all this drag queen stuff for children. I mean, people who, men who are mentally ill and they want to dress up as women have been around since time began. And, you know, they, they used to be kind of in their own little world. And they thought, well, you know, that's kind of odd, but they're not hurting anybody. But these people now are in the face of children, and it's bad enough that they're insisting on being in front of children. But you have school districts, it appears, administrators, 
kind of enabling it, or maybe they just can't find the basis to reject it. So the drag queen, the prohibition of drag queens, I, mean, I understand with the caveats you're saying, but the prohibition on drag queens uh, shows passed with some confusion about what the terms mean. Yes, Correct? that will still be, that will, we did not solve the problem. We got it started and at least made a little bit of movement, but there will be court cases on, you know, how, how do you define that? Okay, another one I think we did do well on was trying to prevent the, um, transge the transgendering of children, of minors. The, and it was, or I refer to it as a gender mutilation of children, which is what I, um, people don't like that term, but that's what it is. That's, that's my term for it. It's, okay, it's, okay. it's mutilation of children. And yes, we did um, SB 14, which was very similar to the bill I had on it, but we decided that uh, with a female doctor senator curing it, it would be much better getting out of the senator, out of the Senate. Uh, and we did. It had a little hiccup with an amendment that was put on, and we had to bring it back and take that amendment off, and then worked it out with the House where they added an amendment that really made it a strong bill. I mean, it is a it, it is as good a bill as we could have gotten to stop the mutilation of, of uh, children. It's not just, it's yeah, yay. And, and for those that don't think it's real, uh, I would just say go to the website for the Crane Center in Austin, Texas, and look at what they have to say. I have a, a, a series of text messages that were made between a supposedly 14-year-old girl and the Crane Center and where she wanted to become a boy. And uh, basically told her in there all she needed was a letter from a doc one doctor and she didn't need her parents' permission, and they would they would do it. But on there, if, if you have any any wonder about what it looks like, they actually provide photographs yeah. of what they do to women to turn them into men. Oh. Uh, the horrible scars that they leave as they cut pieces out of the legs and arms to fabricate parts that women normally don't have, and what it looks like when they do the upper uh, oh. surgeries. And I think that that should be put up for everybody to see because they talk about this as though it's a fantasy kind of thing. It's one of the most grotesque, horrible things you can imagine being done to the human body. It's and child abuse. Does your bill cover both surgery as well as the use of hormones or whatever it is they yes, inject? Yeah. No, it's it, entire. It, yeah, it's a, well, what we did uh, was just the, in the final amendment was made in the House was re, re, say that. If they have been under a psychiatrist care for nine months, had the, the psychological part of it for nine months, when the bill goes into effect, uh, they would be excluded from it, which gets it down to a very, very narrow group of people, but it gives them a chance to, to wean off of the, uh, the medications. But after that, it's prohibited for, for anyone. Okay, what, what? I, I just so commend you because the arguments being made, yeah, the arguments yeah. being made on behalf of advocacy for transgenderism are so, it is that, you know, they, they threaten parents, you know, if you don't allow this to happen to your child, they hear she may commit suicide. I mean, it is a, it is not a gentle, you know, on trying to understand the child. It is, it is strident advocacy. And, and really threatening to parents who don't want to go along. And I'm, I'm just so proud of Texas. I'm, I'm glad that we did that. Well, and there were a number of people need to talk to some of these folks that, that detransition. I had the opportunity to meet and talk with several 
that had detransitioned. And some of them, I could hardly even talk to them because they were so physically afflicted. with Deformed. It, they're and, deformed. Mentally. And, uh, and so I had a bill that would have required the insurance company and the doctors to stick with that patient and any problems they got as a result of the transitioning, they had to take care of them. And if they wanted to detransition, they had to pay for that also. Uh, that died in the house. That's a great we got idea. Out of the Senate, but we died, okay. it died in the house. You mentioned Crane Center. Is that C-R-A-N-E? Yes. Crane, I'm going to look that up. Crane Center. Y'all should look that up. Okay. Um, I, I love that that happened. I love that bravery there. Uh, there also was a bill to protect women's sports, yes. to keep men out of women's sports. What passed applies to colleges is that right or high schools yeah, or? yeah. Hi, no we we got high schools we, we fixed the school, uil okay. uh, last time we, we had too much opposition because the university the universities opposed having the ncaa piece because they were afraid of the threats of not having tournaments here and things like that previously when uh, senator perry carried the bill uh so we got it for the high schools and so this bill picked up ncaa so we we now it's uh, now prohibited in, in all of the uh, school, state, state uh. schools. We only address state schools. You, you can't, with. you have no authority to address what the private schools choose to allow. No, no. Yeah, but I love that idea. Plus it's a message. It's, it's a message really uh, no. broadly to society. Sane people are taking control now and you, we're not gonna have this insanity anymore. So I, I love that, commend mm -hmm. that. Uh, kind of also related to colleges in the great state of Texas. There was a bill related to diversity, equity, or I like to put diversity, inclusion, and equity because it spells die. Uh, but anyway, uh, but that that effort of pushing diversity, equity, inclusion uh, in Texas public universities, there was an effort to basically say we're going to stop funding this. We want it to stop. I understood there was some amendment that happened in the course. Do you, do you know what happened with that bill? I have only a piece of it, I think. It it is not going to be as effective as it should be. And what we found as we were getting into it, the number, we even found state agencies that had hired a, a, a diversity, inclusion, equity officer, just like a human uh, resources person, yeah. a whole office for that. And so that was being taken care of, tried to get it out of the, out of the state, but it's not as strong as, as what we would, would have hoped it would be. Yeah, I w I've forgotten who was telling me the story about it, but the original idea, and I, I, I will say, I believe these numbers are correct. There was uh, one reason it came to the attention of some members of the legislature was there was uh, an actual tallying of the number of people, I think it was at UT, that the university was hiring, paying to be part of this DEI militia. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was, I mean, it was like 200 people. Do you, are, do you, oh, are you familiar with that? Yeah. People, yes. that, you know, not your tax dollar, your tuition dollar, your tax dollar goes to UT, other places. And instead of finding a great new teacher or teach whatever it would be, you know, English or biology or something that you should be learning in college, uh, it was to spend, send more of these. And, and I know I shouldn't overuse the term, but like these, you know, diversity Nazis that are just you know, quick to pounce on people and critique. So that was DEI was... It was, I, I believe, the thing that passed basically said you can't, they're not going to have employed officers of the school in the capacity of DEI. Right. Is that correct? Yes. That's something. That's something. I mean, I mean, just a, um, 
you know, there have been commentary about colleges around the country, how the percentages keep shifting between universities having professors and universities having uh, administration. The administration gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and, you know, with all sorts of things they fill it with. But to fill it with this stuff, which ends up distracting from the meritocracy, the idea, the, the idea of... Well, well it, it forces us into being a racist society. It yes. forces us. Yes. What we've I'm been trying to work, where right. we were trying to go <laughs> before right. Obama was elected. I mean, I, I, I know what it is to live in, in America where there is real racism. And I know the path we took to get out of it. And we were just right there until Obama was elected. And then all of a sudden, race became the, the foundation of everything that he was doing or saying. And in, and in the DEI, it does the same thing. It's counterproductive to the free enterprise system. It's counterproductive to our basic principles on which our country is founded. And, and, uh, and it will do nothing but take us down. It will, it will move us in alignment with third world countries because right. it the people being appointed to positions have nothing to do with the, their capability to do the job. It's whether, and, and, and you're going to see this in, in the movies you're out there. If you haven't watched a few movies lately, I've just about, we've just about quit watching them. They have a DEI requirement in the movies. You got to have a certain number of transgenders, a certain number of gays, certain other, of a, a mix of it. And if you don't, you don't even get considered for awards. So, um, it's 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 getting worse. Oh yeah, the whole mindset of that, you know, I, I often think of the example, you know, if you think that schools should just strictly enforce DEI and endlessly be looking for the latest category of ethnicity and race and national origin and all that, when you hire a brain surgeon, do you want the one who was hired under, you know, who was accepted medical school and trained on DEI or the best student? I mean, I love that the best person, I mean, Ben Carson, brilliant brain surgeon, because he is a brilliant brain surgeon. But I mean, you, you, you really want merit at the end of the day. Well, but, but it makes no sense. I mean, how do you, okay, you got, two, you got at least 54 genders out there, according to the folks, in the, 54 <laughs> of them. So how do you decide which one to pick? How do you get the, oh. the decide is you're picking one over there, or if you pick, pick two that are whatever they are as opposed to another one have you discriminated uh, there's there is no real me way to measure and and when you come it comes to race uh there are subsets there that that makes it almost impossible you have to go looking for people if you didn't have enough brown people uh enough uh, oriental people have to go look for people to hire whether they're even can spell the name of the company or not yeah. so it just it, it it will destroy us yeah absolutely true and i'm you know it takes bravery to say these kind of things because uh for the legislature for you for people in just society generally because the cultural shift has already happened in many aspects of society where it's presumed you are the enlightened one because you're supporting of course i support diversity and equity and inclusion and to start to say the kind of truths you're saying is brave but it's vital to do well it's not, it's not difficult for me. I had rather be criticized for doing what is right than be praised for what doing what is wrong. Yeah, amen. Yep. 
Okay, we definitely have to leave time for how we're going to fix the legislature, and I want to hit some other <laughs> issues. Um, so we're going to fix it today. We're going to vote, and we're done. No, um, okay. But on a serious note, uh, there was another bill that um, didn't get quite the attention, I think, in, um, broadly in the media, and I I'm, um, mentioned it to you in text. I don't even know if you had a chance to read it, but there was an effort in Texas to try to get uh, they call it digital gold currency. And the gist of it is, if you're not familiar with this, is Texas already has a Texas bullion depository. If you have gold or silver, the physical item, and you want to put it in a safe place, you can put it in the Texas bullion um, depository. And the idea of this is very simply that if you have gold or silver in, that, in the bullion depository and you would like to treat it as currency, if the Boyan Depository can get you a credit card, a, a debit card, just like your bank right now, you have money in the bank, you have a debit card, and you can pay for things, your debit card. If you can get a debit card uh, toward your assets in the Boyan uh, Depository, so you're anywhere, you're out to dinner and you wanna spend money, and instead of running, you can run your, your uh, debit card, it's just gonna diminish the value of the gold you hold them and the Boyan Depository. So this is a concept. If you didn't see our show, come to me one second here, Emilio. If you didn't see our show uh, three or four weeks ago, Kevin Freeman joined us uh, on this the, one of the Thursday shows. He laid out what this is all about. And the reason why it's so important to understand is not just a clever idea out of Texas, but it is a vehicle, if we can get it set in Texas, that other states can replicate. And what it will allow people to do is to have a way of fighting back against what the federal government is trying to do, which is the CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency, which is on target. It was an executive order out of the Biden administration. It's on target to, to be get kicked into gear. It's in, it's in review or in, in um, there are models uh, using it now but be kicked into gear of July of this year. And the concept was you will no longer really have control of your money. It will be controlled by, digitally by the government. And it is a recipe for America going down the tubes toward what China has, uh, which everyone understands you don't want to have uh, their social credit score system. So this effort in Texas, digital currency, is an effort to fight back against the central bank digital currency that is being pushed by Biden and by globalists around the world. It's a way to hold on to the value of what you have in the great state of Texas. So big push here. Big push in other states, too. And do go back and listen, because I'm not doing an adequate job describing it. But if you go back to our show and Kevin Freeman was on, he did a great job explaining it. It's a way to hold on to freedom. It's not a tricky little money and, and rich people thing. It is for every single person, every income level, it is a way to hold on to your financial freedom. I had to get that pitch out. Now, what happened with that bill? Do you happen to know? You just described exactly what happened to it. Because you used two words to to decide to de describe both sides digital currency people could not distinguish between the digital currency concept that the federal government wants to move to so that you don't have money in your pocket you only get it electronically and the digital currency that's backed by the gold and they could not distinguish how that makes any real difference when you understand Wait, the legislators could not figure it no no, okay. no nobody they, they didn't everybody had a hard time because they got the two confused there were many a person said that sounds like a precursor to helping the federal government do what they want to do in digitizing currency oh that it was the again it's it's a mar it's a marketing and and trying to sell it using 
the same words that describe a disaster about to happen as being the thing that's going to save us, it couldn't get, it didn't get past the folks. Okay, I know there's an, I know Kevin Freeman testified down there. I don't know if it was a Senate committee or House committee, but I know there but, were two bills. It was Senate Bill 2334 yes. and House Bill 4903. He testified on one or both. Were you there? Did you hear his testimony? No, I was not on that committee. I was State Affairs and I was not on that committee. Uh, or if it, was, it may have been at Finance. Anyway, no, I did not uh, hear all of his testimony, but I do know that even when I've talked with Kevin, he uses those terms too. And I've tried to talk with him about that, but I think to get the concept out, it needs to be described differently. Gold backed, you can say gold backed, which the digital currency is a term, it's a problem. No, it's a gold backed or gold. I mean, it is absolutely legal for Texas to coin gold coins, to have money that's backed by gold. We can do that. That's the only kind of currency we can have. And what his idea was that gold will be far more secure than the other stuff that backs stable, our yeah. paper money, more stable. Uh, but describing it as digital currency is what made it, uh, made that a problem. Okay. So, I mean, because you know, this is really, I want to dive into this a little bit with you, um, which is if you understand the concept, which is just, it is to avoid allowing us to go down the path like China and social credit score, to avoid the CBDC thing. Did you have a sense from anyone that, that I mean, they were opposed to that idea because they like the, the congressional, the, the central bank digital currency, the federal level thing? No, no, they just, uh, they, they either didn't understand it enough to think it was reasonable or, or had the feeling that anybody talks about doing something with gold is, is trying to sell them something. Uh, <laughs> or they, they got it uh, confused with, well, it's just the same thing the federal government's trying to do. Uh, I just don't think the, the concept was described in sufficient simple details that people could actually understand it. Okay, so this is, I mean, backing up, did you hear anything from Governor Abbott on this bill? No. That's the concept? Okay. I don't know if that meeting has happened yet, but I know there was an effort to try to present the idea to him directly, not just to his staffers. I don't know if that happened. That would but help. But to me, it's a freedom issue. It is mm -hmm. like, you know, I, I know for years people would hear tax arguments and, you know, tax rates and how, and, and, and it helps so much to say to people, this is not about money. It's not, a, we're not talking, it is about money. It's about freedom and, and what rate they can tax and how much money and years they can take is a freedom issue. So is this one. And I, I, I'm fully, I, I am not a, you know, economist, a knowledgeable economist at all. But when you grasp the concept, it seems like both parties would jump at the idea of essentially protecting the freedom of the people of the state of Texas to, to hold on to the value of what they have. So this is something maybe, I guess it wouldn't possibly make a list of a special session bill out of out of Governor Abbott, correct? He wouldn't try to push this. He's even laughing. Uh oh. <laughs> in, in light of the the preciseness which which we went into the first special session, where he dictated the bills that we were to pass. Yeah, I saw. Uh, I I doubt it. Although, when at the same time he said the you know said it as though we can expect several special sessions. I don't know what he has in mind, whether he's going to do them one at a time with one or two bills like he did, uh, or what he's going to do next. Uh, okay, the things he said in this session were to be, uh, he wanted to get, oh, I, 
Was it a school choice? No, which one? He, 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 property tax and, board, and, and uh, border security. Okay, property tax and let's do border security for a second. There is a bill in, in that arena of border security. There, there's a bill that could have just passed in special session and, it's, and they, there's no agreement. Is that the problem? Or they no, no, we met the, first, the very first day of it, of, of the special session, and we passed both a property tax bill and, and, and started work on a border security bill that we plan to get out next week. The House met and they passed both of them. And, and then, and then Signy died. They signed out and said, here they are, take them or leave it. And their tax bill, all it had was uh, compression on the tax rate. Our bill had compression and uh, exemptions in it. Okay, so the short story is on the property tax relief, which is a huge thing for conservatives, the House and Senate are not pursuing the same no. method. It's not that you're, you're agreeing in principle that you'd like to reduce property taxes. There's just a disagreement on the method. And, and correct? And amount. Okay. We're going to basically spend the same amount of money, but the, the way the house with the compression, it picks up businesses, everything all the way out. So you, everybody gets, remember, it's, it's just shifting where we're going to get the money for tax. Nobody's, nobody's talking about reducing spending. All we're doing is talking about shifting where the money is coming from. So we're going to reduce the amount of money coming from property tax. With compression, it reaches out across the board to everybody, including businesses, so everybody realizes less money. Take that $17.5 billion and you just spread it out more people. When you do it with a combination of compression and, and uh, exemption, focused on the homeowners, the homeowners will see a bigger number, and which will basically doubles it. Which is what everybody you know, rough, wants. <laughs> roughly, the, the, the house version gives about a $700 relief to folks, and the Senate version gives about twelve to $1,400 to the homeowners. And the, the other folks get about the $700. Uh, we've got other things that are being done for businesses. Uh, it's, the, it's the homeowners that are really suffering the most from this. Okay, so even though you had this uh, first special session, House did what they were told and went and went away. And I did read Governor Abbott said he plans to call numerous special sessions. So he could call that issue back up and say, next special session, get after it again and try to get you guys. But right now, as I've been reading, the, uh, the Senate has uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick as the, the whatever, he's the head of the Senate. And you have the Speaker of the House, who is more mm -hmm. or less a Democrat, Dead Phelan. And so they are at loggerheads on, I mean, they cannot agree. So do you foresee any potential of resolving that? Uh, not unless something else comes up that would be traded off with them. Uh, for it. They, they, it, it, I think it's come down to, uh, on, on the House side, I, I mean, I can't justify it, what it is, because I think there, that there's nobody I've talked to over there that even understands the property tax process. We happen to have a couple of senators who make their living dealing with property taxes, so they understand the, you know, the details of it, and they're absolutely convinced that, that combining the two gives the, the best relief out there. But, okay. But, so okay. That it, but I think it's an ego uh, fight, and I'm not sure it, it will get resolved. Okay.
I'm sorry to hear that because, yeah, tax relief, there's really hardly anyone in Texas uh, who says I'm against property tax relief. And everyone is, okay. I want to turn to process. I, I'm mindful of our time. So, you know, I want to start with the idea of what happens in the Texas House. And, and yeah, with a quick summary for our happy listeners out there. Amazingly, in the great state of Texas, we have Republican majority. We have all Republican elected office holders, which mean, I mean, the, the high level, which means the governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general. We have Republican majority, House and Senate. So we have Republicans in majority in the great state of Texas. However, in the Texas House, leaving the Texas Senate aside, which is the uh, lieutenant governor, Dan Patrick, is a, the uh, head of that. On the House side, the Speaker of the House uh, is should be selected, is selected by people who are elected House members. So the people all get elected to the Texas State House, they show up, they elect a House Speaker. What's been, actually, what, what is the real process? Go ahead and tell me the real process, how we get to a Speaker in Texas. Well, the Speaker is elected <laughs> by, by the House members. The, the, um, Sorry. Uh, it's pretty much like what is done in Washington. <laughs> the, 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 he's elected uh, the, the 150 representatives get together. They did agree a couple of sessions back to elect the, uh, the speaker in the caucus, in the Republican caucus, but they haven't followed that. Uh, since Joe Strauss was first elected, he figured out that he could, he only needed 11 Republicans if he got all the Democrats. And so he got all the Democrats to commit to him and he committed to give them uh, chairs of committees and to not pass certain bills and so on. So they knew they couldn't elect their own Democrat, but they could get a semi-Democrat by doing that. So then there was only 11 Republicans, and each of the speakers since then has followed the same path. And we have not yet had a Republican leader in the House that could garner the support of all the Republicans and, and do battle with them and, and actually win by just Republican votes, which they could easily. Okay, I'm going to quickly summarize that point because you have to understand how serious this is. And I think everyone in the room does, but for our listeners, we don't have in the Texas majority, Republican majority House, we don't have the Republicans who are in the majority choosing the Speaker of the House, which is a very powerful position, names the committee chairs, which essentially determines what bills get through, what bills don't get through, so much power. The Democrats band together, as it seems like this phenomenon is repeated around the country in various ways. Democrats band together. They pick off one Republican. They say, we'll back you. You can be speaker. And as long as you give us X, Y, and Z and, and chairmanship roles, some Republican should always say no. But he says yes, says yes to that. And they go to pick, up a, pick off a small number of Republicans. And those Republicans vote with the Democrats. And we end up with a Democrat-selected Speaker of the House, which is where we are today. So now. Now, to, for people who are just driven nuts by this process, and we, we've talked about this for years, and you, you're right, a few years ago, we, for, we had an agreement. The party said they were going to have only the Republican caucus choose their chair. How do we keep, why does this still keep happening? Like, how can we fix this? Show up to vote. The biggest problem, the problem we have is that we only have about 30% of the people showing up the to vote. The voters in Texas show up to vote. The, that, and what we need is about 80 to 90% of the people showing up to vote. And what we need, and those folks need to become educated on, on who they're really voting for. We got so many people that I would, I would say over half the people that go to vote just before they head to the polls, pick up their phone and call somebody and say, who should I vote for? 
have no clue who it is they're voting for or what they stand for, and then they don't watch them when they go down there and pay any attention to them. And those that have managed to beat incumbents do so because they expose their record of voting, which is way inconsistent with what a strong Republican district would have wanted. I'm, and you've got statements out there, it is so pervasive. There are, there are Republicans out there that have put on Facebook, I really don't care what the Republican Party priorities are, I'm elected by the people. And, and not, many of them have put that out there. And what we don't have are people getting involved in, in the process before the election to figure out who it is. And then once you send them down to Austin, watch how they vote. And if they don't vote the way you want them to vote, elect Start somebody else. Okay, is there available, do the people in Austin know who were the Republicans who got picked off and got behind Dade Phelan as a speaker this time? Do, do we know who those Republicans were so yeah, Dade Phelan could say? Yeah, all, all, of, all of them but two. We know all... All, all but two voted for him. I know they voted for him when they got to the point they felt they, they, that he had picked off the numbers. That, but that was it. That was the only vote that was taken. Okay. I mean, I mean, what you'd like to do is target the ones who are easily, spinelessly willing to go a along with the Democrat. Well, actually, if you'll pay attention to how they vote, look at where they get their money, how, who, who gave them their money, how they voted. Look at the, the Rice University study. We'll give you a good idea. Uh, a scorecard will put out yeah. a good score. You can't go wrong by picking the folks. And if they're not in the top 10% of that, then you need to seriously look at trying to find someone uh, in, for, for the conservative Republicans to have someone down there. Because the election of the speaker is just a function of what's what the rest of the stuff that's going on down there, allowing yeah, the chubbing, good, yeah. allowing the points of order, allowing the slow roll of bills in the, in the committees uh, and so on. When you change that and you get more down there like what we've seen in some of the bright new freshmen that went in this year, Brian Harrison out of Ellis County, uh, that, that really believes and understands the principles of good government. And there's Brian there, Harris in Ellis County. Okay, yeah, I'm going to look yeah. him up. Mike Schofield out of um, out of Harris County. Uh, they okay. they are ones that uh, that will be at the top of the list. Okay, you mentioned earlier this process of chubbing, and you also mentioned about bills not getting on the calendar, not getting out to the out of a committee to a vote. I know you just can't have the entire legislature show up in Austin all the members of the Senate, all the members of the House, and just start blathering away about what bills. You have to have some structure, but are the rules that, that require the calendar committee to be involved, are the rules, are they, are they, should they be changed to allow a more streamlined process so that more bills get to be the floor, get voted on? Uh, the short answer is no. No, okay. the process is not the problem. Matter of fact, you want to make it arduous because with, 13 or 1400 bills being introduced, thank God we're able to kill most of those because you don't want them being passed. And uh, okay. the majority of the bills you do not want to have passed that are filed. And so having the process we have helps to slow it down enough. But it's not the process, it's, it's people. It's the right people with the right mindset doing the right thing 
that we need to have more of down there, and we need <clears> to have more of the of the people participating. I mean, I'm every here. Go look at the witness list. You want some? Go go look at the witness list of those who showed up for the gender modification bill. Just pick that one. You'll find the witness list of people opposed to that bill is about that long. The people who showed up in support of it is about that long. And that tells you a lot about what we're faced with down there of our side. And previous session we had when we had the elections bill, we stayed up to started in the afternoon and didn't finish till after seven o'clock the next morning. And 90% of the people that were there showed up for our elections bill were opposed to what we were doing. There were the Democrats, the left shows up. Okay. Our folks stay home. They, so, they, don't, they don't come out the way it's needed to be effective. So the left shows up, and, and the, you know, it's really interesting because poll, uh, you mentioned gender modification bill. I've seen polling that a significant percentage of, of Republicans supported the, uh, your bill, supported ending that. And actually, in some polls, a majority of Democrats, fewer but still even Democrats, parents, People being polled said, of course you shouldn't be doing gender modification of children. Stop doing that. But yet that polling does not translate into the logic of who shows up at the legislature. It doesn't translate into, well, if 80% of Texans want you to pass a gender modification bill and, and stop doing this, and it, it, you have leftists showing up and you have conservatives failing to show up or, or in, in insufficient numbers. And one other quick thing about chubbing. Is chubbing something that gets stopped by a point of order? No, no. It could be it, or it couldn't be? Uh, no, it, uh, it, it can be terminated by the members. They, they have ways around it, but it really is controlled by the speaker to, to allowing it. And the thing about it is if you've got the right people down there, that will go away. That, that, that will just, it, it okay. will not be the problem it is. Yeah, I, I read about the chubbing stuff uh, that just, you could just, I mean, you could hardly believe the audacity of doing that. Okay, uh, we only have a couple minutes left here. I do want to ask you, so I, I touched on it, or you've been touching on it, but, you know, if you want the things in Texas you think should happen, the tex people of Texas think should happen, border security, election integrity, the whole litany of things, and, and I would throw in digital gold, or whatever term you're going to use, digital gold currency, you, the way to effectuate that is not just to answer polls and show up and vote for your legislators it is to show up in austin so, so how do you what if someone said i want to do more how how do you even get involved how do you do that there, there are a number of organizations out there to meet on a regular basis the republican party has 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 a group in every county that's a start there are others like um the uh, ccd uh, uh, Citizens Defending Freedom. Yep. County Citizens Defending Freedom is becoming very effective and growing. True Texas Project, uh, their uh, Convention of States, they're, they're just, uh, and just uh, conservative Republicans even have their own branch in the place. But uh, uh, if they would just participate actively in the Republican Party and organize around precinct chairs, and I will say that precinct chairs are one of the two most important elected positions we have in this state. School boards and precinct chairs. The precinct chairs are the closest yeah, to the yeah. people, and if the precinct chairs will take their job seriously about informing people, that's, that's what they ought to be doing, is taking what is happening in the legislature, what happens at the, at the convention, what, what are the platform items, and go out and talk to their neighbors. That's all that they are the closest to them. 
and tell them about what it is and who the Republican Party is and what they're doing, uh, it would make a big difference. That's where we need to start, is having active precinct chairs and then getting more involved in getting people who actually care about the kids being elected to the school boards. Amen to that. Amen to that. Uh, Senator Hall, we're almost out of time. So if people want to read about you, uh, I meant to have it down here. Your website, they can read your, at least your legislative website is? SenatorBobHall.com. SenatorBobHall.com. I really do mean for our listeners, this is, you know, we have, every state has House members and Senate members and people involved in the Texas, in the state level. But they're usually within every legislature, a few people who are just, as Senator Hall is, the one who will always stand up for the conservative principle and keep on fighting and explaining. He speaks anytime he's invited, he will speak to organizations to explain what the issues are. He dives in and understands them. And honestly, I, I just, I, for all of us, I want to just say thank you so much for all you do. And also thank you for joining me here today. Oh, glad to. And thank you for what you do. I think your show is fantastic. And we need more shows like what you have, getting the word out on, on what this country needs to pull it back from the slide into Gomorrah that we're on. Uh, Gomorrah and Marxism, all yes. of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. I, I love doing it. So I appreciate doing it. I love the opportunity. So for our listeners, I want to tell you, first of all, thank you for tuning in to America Community Talk. I do this show every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. I truly, deeply appreciate your listening to the show. If you missed any of this interview, or you want to go back and hear it again, it'll be posted at our website, americacanwetalk.org. In fact, if you learned a lot at this interview today, Grab that URL, the interview from today with Senator Bob Hall, and share it with your friends. It's a great way to share the show, great way to share information, uh, and just pass the word along to everyone you know in Texas and around the country. You know, in fact, my theme music for this show, which we play at the beginning, you hear a little bit of it at the end, is by Krista Branch. Uh, she is, I always, I tell her, I will give credit periodically. Krista Branch sings at uh, I Am America. It's a great message. It's a great message that goes with this show. The people who are, will shape America's future are the people who show up, speak up, act, and just really take charge and recognize that we are the, we the people, we are the sovereign, we're the ones in charge, but you have to be active, you have to be uh, engaged in the process in order to preserve this precious constitutional republic. Yeah, thank you. And two weeks from today, our guest will be Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Uh, so we'll hear more. He is in charge of the Senate side of things. Uh, he'll be here talking about lots of things going on. So I encourage you to tune in then and every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can